it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Michael Bronner behind the glass putting together today's show and of course, we had our national championship game last night. And the biggest question were, were you entertained by the national championship game last night? Was the women's championship game more exciting than the men's championship game? And we'll get into that on today's show at 3.30. We'll be joined by former South Alabama Jaguar and current and latest national champion for the LSU Women Lady Tigers, Gary Reedus. Of course, his father was a Major League Baseball player for over 13 years, and his sister played basketball at Alabama. And, of course, him playing at South Alabama himself and receiving his degree, we'll get with Gary Reedus to ask him, did he ever feel or know that he was going to go into coaching and especially in his first year winning a national championship with the LSU Lady Tigers as their assistant coach. We'll talk to him at 3.30. At 4 o'clock, Locked On SEC, Chris Gordy will join us. And, of course, from 5 to 6 o'clock, we're talking spring football with Scott Hunter along with Tracy Turner. And look forward to that. And we'll be taking your telephone calls all day long here on the final drive and, of course, on Talking Football, 251-694-1055. And as we start today's show, we want to make sure that we put you in touch with the South Alabama baseball program. Four tickets to Texas State and South Alabama this Thursday at 6.30 when you hear the theme music, look at them Jaguars. You want to make sure that you give Michael a call, 251 694 1055 when you hear that music you can call and get on that and of course it's masters week and as we prepare for the masters we also want you to listen for the masters theme song to where to win timber creek golf passes and we'll be giving away those all week long here on the show in honor of the masters and michael i know that we do have one completely satisfied listener who was able to come into Moe's Barbecue and draw UConn's name out of the hat. But UConn is the big dog, the big husky at 31 and 8. Now, I said probably 25 times at least during the drawing at Moe's, oh, that's a good team. I definitely said it for UConn. So I think it was Henry, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So con big congratulations to Henry on winning the March Madness Challenge, Bailey's TV and Mattress, flat screen, as well as a one-hour jet ski rental from Gulf Coast Water Rentals. Great stuff there. Uh, you know, great event. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's our annual champion now so good on them but as for the game last night uh, 
I mean, we kind of predicted how it was going to go. I don't think we we weren't so far off. I, I thought maybe it'd be a little bit closer. San Diego State made it exciting for a minute with about five or six minutes left when they cut it to five or six at one point. But UConn did what UConn's been doing the entire tournament. And, and when you, you can't put yourself into a hole against this UConn team because they're just going to step on your throat. And what did we say yesterday? We said San Diego State cannot go on these scoring droughts against a team like you against a team like UConn because I, there it's just it's not going to be like against FAU where both teams go 7 minutes without scoring. You go 7 minutes without scoring against UConn you're going to lose. Uh and that's just the reality of the situation. So, yeah, I mean they, they I think it was like a 9-0 run to cut it to 6 at one point with about 5 minutes left and you know, maybe maybe you thought for a second, "Oh, we could have a game here." And it just wasn't the case. I I, I would go so far as to say this was the most boring national championship in recent memory. Uh, if someone else has a different answer, feel free to call in 251-694-1055 or put a comment in the app. But, I mean, this this was not an exciting game by, by any means. Just it, it just wasn't. You look at the final score, 76-59, to 59, and having an opportunity to be up by 12 at halftime, you kind of knew that that deficit – well, it was going to be pretty tough, especially the way that UConn had been playing basketball. But And keep in mind, last season, Kansas was down 15 at halftime to UNC uh, in the national championship. It's not like 12 was this insurmountable, crazy deficit, but it, ju- it just felt like at halftime, there's no way San Diego State can win this game. They're, they're shot-making, their offensive game plan, and I understand that's kind of just the kind of team they are, feed it into the post. That, but, I mean, Sonogo was a menace on both sides of the court. You couldn't score over them. They kept insisting on trying to do it. And, and it just got to a point, even in the fir- it just felt like an, even in the first half, wow, San Diego State really has no chance to win this thing, barring making a million threes which obviously they don't specialize in by any means or, or something wacky going on. UConn going on a really cold scoring run or something like that, and, and as has been the case for the entire tournament, just didn't happen. They just play play a complete 40-minute game. They squeeze the life out of you slowly but surely, and uh, I, I think they certainly have a case right up there with 2018 Villanova as the most dominant tournament run in the history of the tournament. I do think that they are going to be considered one of the most dominant all-time tournament teams for sure. And I think Coach Hurley did a wonderful job of finding a way for his team to to battle themselves because really this UConn team, when they started losing games, it was all within their conference. And yeah. They, they, they went, they what, 17-0 and 0 in non-conference? Non-conference. Every win by double digits? And, and and that's that's something that is really not too common when you start looking at where they were able to finish. They lose in the semifinals in the Big East to Marquette and don't have an opportunity to even be conference champions. But sometimes it's just you have to find a way to hit that on switch. And they were just battling themselves and – win all the games in the NCAA tournament by double digits. That's something that you really don't see at all and and just trailed for only 5 minutes and 22 seconds in the last four games of the NCAA tournament. To me, that's what being a blue blood program is all about. And coach Hurley, he doesn't have to worry about being in his father's footsteps. 
because he's kind of made his own path. And his brother, of course, being a back-to-back national championship winner at Duke, he was always going to play second fiddle as a player. But now to say as a coach, he's reached that pinnacle. And the thing that I love about it is the similarity and the swagger that Kim Mulkey and Coach Hurley have. Because Coach Hurley, he called his shot in 2020. And I know that's three years ago. But he called his shot in 2020 as he was trying to build this program. People better get us now. That's all. You better get us now. Because it's coming. And he meant business by that. What he was trying to build and what he's been able to rebuild. A UConn program that had sanctions in its lap. And, of course, when COVID hit, it it threw everything into a loop to where you didn't really get a chance to have that one shining moment to see where you could be in postseason play. But to win every single game in the NCAA tournament by double digits and to become the big dog and to truly establish yourself as a blue blood. And we said on yesterday, it, it made me go back and say, okay, UConn, within the last 25 years, you've been one of the most dominant men's basketball programs and really one of the most dominant women's basketball programs. So you can really say overall, they're, in essence, they're certainly they are across the most both. dominant yes. program in basketball, yes. in college basketball. And that's something that I know a lot of people, it's probably not sexy to a lot of people to say UConn is the best in men and women's basketball, but they are. Because what Gino Oriama and now Coach Hurley have been able to put together, even though Gino found an early exit this year, don't think for one minute that he's going to flame or burn out and that his program's not going to be a blue blood or want to continue to be a blue blood. But within the last 25 years, Michael, Kentucky, one national championship. They're a blue blood of basketball. North Carolina, 05, 09, 2017. So they've had three. Duke, the same way with Coach K. You 01, 2010, and 2015. What people consider Indiana, nothing within the last 25 years. UConn, again, 04, 11, 14, and 23. And Kansas in 08 and 22. So, Yes, these are programs that have won national championships within the last 25 years. But, of course, you look at Villanova. Villanova's won a couple within the last 25 years as well. But we're just talking about the most NCAA tournament championships, UCLA, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, Indiana, UConn, and Kansas. And three different coaches at North Carolina, three different coaches at UConn. At UConn as well. And that's what's even more impressive to me, the fact that when you start looking at the number of coaches over this 25-year span and being able to get it done. If you ask, like, the casual fan now who the coach was, maybe more than casual, who the coach was for that 2014 UConn National Championship, they probably guessed Jim Calhoun. I mean, Kevin Ollie kind of gets forgotten about at this point just because – it was what it was what a year or two after that national championship he was 
pretty much forced out, right? I guess rightfully so, because there were pretty bad sanctions. I, Admittedly, I haven't read a ton into the situation, and and I, I can't remember exactly what happened. It but, really hit the fan in 2018. I mean, the program was destroyed. I, Dan Hurley took over this a destroyed program and, and took about five years to build it back up and obviously has it back into a national powerhouse and a team that just won a national championship in completely dominating fashion. And Kevin Ollie, yes, they, they won a national championship, but I, they weren't, uh, they, they were like a seven seed, something like that, I believe, in 2014. It was like an unlikely national championship. And, and when they're doing it, the Big East Conference isn't what growing up, yeah. If you were 70s, oh, yeah. 80s, and 90s, Big East Conference, before, Marquette, like before Xavier, 2010, yeah. Creighton, UConn stays in, Providence, Villanova, Syracuse. Seton Hall, St. John's, Butler, DePaul, and Georgetown. About, yeah, before. And that's what makes up your new Big East. Yes. Okay. So your new Big East. Talking about like Syracuse, Pitt. Yes. Like with, with the good old exactly, days of exactly, the Big East. Exactly. Lou Carnesecca on the sidelines yeah. with his sweater. Of course, Jim Beheim, Big John walking the sidelines to where you were definitely going to get it. Big East, of course, I picked Marquette to be a Final Four contender. Mm -hmm. And here it is. Shaka Smart is your coach of the year. But Coach Hurley, I think he really, really, his strive for five was personal, especially when they lost in the semifinals of the Big East tournament. They found a way to get it done, and, and you, you can't do anything but salute his ability to get his guys to play. And, and Sonogo having a double-double, and Tristan Newton with 19 and 10. Sonogo is uh, just the I, most outstanding just, player for a reason. an unbelievable basketball player uh, on, on both ends of the floor. He... <laughs> It was frustrating. San Diego State kept going at him inside, and I again, I, to a certain degree, I think San Diego State's has a bit of a one-trick pony offense, and that they're, they do, are not elite at shot making in in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, that that team starts and ends with its defense, but I, it was like they kept going at Sonogo, kind of chucking something up and missing. I mean, they went I think eight minutes without scoring at one point. And, and it was like they kept trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. It's like you keep going at this guy. Try, f figure something else out, Coach Dudger. What, what are we doing here? Well, their strategy was not going to work. Once they got behind, you knew that it was going to be trouble time. And that trouble was going to lead to UConn having their fifth championship. Because at halftime, Coach Hurley even said, I should have been up by 20. Yeah. And, and, they, they him, and, and and really, when you look at all the missed layups, point blank, they probably should have been. Well, it was a 16-point game, and the game looked completely over. And then San Diego State, I believe, made two mid-ranges in the last minute of the half to cut it to 12, if, if I'm not mistaken on that. And, you know, that makes it not insurmountable, but... You know, somewhat managed. Like a 12-point lead has been come back on. Obviously, like I said, it was 15 last year. Uh, but again, it was 16 with like a minute and a half left, and San Diego State made a couple of shots right at the end. So I, Hurley was right when he said uh, it should have been 20. It should have been more than that. Uh, it just 12 points really felt like 30 in the first half. The first half performance was so dominating from UConn, and and they cut it to five yeah. with, with 5:19 left. A couple they, of turnovers. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't go to sleep. Yeah. If, you, if you really want to. to watch it, you, to the end, you're like, okay, at five and a half minutes, we go to this under four timeout. We've got ourselves a great national championship game. And then all of a sudden, when you're down five, 
Then that five goes to 10, and you're at the under four timeout, and you're down double digits. You're like, there's no way. This game is over with. You might as well go ahead and get ready for one shining moment and to hear what Jim Nance's call is going to be for the Huskies winning the national championship because that's essentially what would wind up happening. And you can't have a game of droughts, as you mentioned, if you're San Diego State. I think there was a point where they had it at eight. San Diego State chucked up something silly just because UConn's defense is so suffocating. You take what you can get. And then UConn just goes right down the other side and uh, and splashes a three to put it to put it at eleven. And it might have been it might have been Newton. I'm not sure who it was off the top of my head, but at that point, once they made the three to go up eleven, it's like God. Jordan this, Hawkins hits a three to trigger that 9-0 run. Yeah, and it was just a matter then. The spread I think might have been seven or seven, seven and, and a half. half. Yeah. So. I really felt going in that, that no matter what, UConn was going to cover because you had five other games to where you've already won by close to 20 points when you start looking at margin of victory. Yeah, if you look at Villanova, and, and so this was kind of a cherry-picked stat uh, a little bit because I, when I went to write about it today, I looked into Villanova's 2018 run, and I believe they won every game by at least 12 uh, was their minimum margin of victory, and then yeah, you know, UConn's minimum margin of victory was 13. So the tweet last night that I saw was, oh, no team in history has won every game by 13 points. Okay, you know, so what difference does that one point really make? But can't take it away from it. It was the most dominating, if not second, you know, whatever you want to argue there, uh, tournament performance in, in history. It was it, no team. Obviously, losing from an Alabama perspective, just to put that spin on this, losing to San Diego State sucked. UConn, UConn was not going to be denied a title this season. I'll tell you what, losing by 15 to UConn in the national championship, it would have sucked. It, it, I mean, it would have been great to have been there, and it would have been great to have said Alabama made the Final Four, made the national championship this year. I don't think there was any world uh, seeing what UConn did over this tournament that Alabama was going to win the national championship this year. I think UConn just was not going to be denied. Well, UConn definitely, you know, everything that was in front of them again, they hit that stretch to where Big East was their biggest opponent and I think that if they were starting 14 to know if they don't struggle in biggies play they may possibly have gone down as one of the greatest teams I mean I think they still I think they still do you gotta ask yourself at this point now and I, I, I think Kyle Neptune will get things back on track at Villanova is the Big East maybe the best conference in college basketball. It certainly has a case to be that. At least Creighton was in the Elite Eight this year. Obviously, Marquette had an early exit to Michigan State, but there's some really good programs in the Big East. Well, you look at their overall records. I mean, UConn 31-8, and eight, nothing wrong with Providence, and really the only programs that were in the toilet. It's only going to get better because Rick Pitino's coming to town, so he's yep. going to add value to that conference at St. John's. And, of course, Villanova, they were a 500 team this year, but Shaka Smart and Marquette, Xavier, the Musketeers, they were solid at 27 and 10. You you saw the run they were they were really that good. McDermott made it Creighton. Uh, so the Big East, top to bottom, maybe one of the best conferences 
in the country? Oh, I think if it's not first, it's without a doubt second. I I don't think you can even make the argument that they're that they're below. I think it's the Big Twelve or the Big East at this point. So you you don't think the ACC no, deserves not, a not, place at the not table? not right now? Okay, not right now at least. It was a down year for the ACC. It, I mean it, Miami. Duke, saving, my, my, saving Miami kind of saves him at the end, and Duke coming on late saves him at the end. I Obviously, they got bludgeoned by Tennessee, but I think the ACC being down the last couple of years would be fair to say. I, I think the Big East and the Big 12, without a doubt right now, are the two best conferences in college basketball. Well, I tell you what, at the end of the day, UConn was the big dog on the block, and the Huskies strive for five, and Coach Hurley to make a name for himself. And what he was able to build with the players he had was something special, and they wind up cutting down the nets last night. And when you cut down the nets, that normally means something special. Or when you win a national championship or a world championship, you, you usually make a visit, and we'll talk about that visit that you normally make on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Don't forget, four South Alabama tickets to Texas State this Thursday at 6.30 will be given away. Just listen for that Look at Them Jaguar song along with our set of two Timber Creek golf passes as well. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Caitlin, the first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, was at the final. On Sunday, she said afterwards, the game was so great, she was thinking about inviting both teams to the White House, yourselves and LSU. Would you want to go to the White House as a runner-up? I don't know. I don't think runner-ups usually go to the White House. I think LSU should, you know, enjoy that moment for them. And congratulations, obviously, they deserve to go there. Uh, maybe I could go to the White House on different terms, though. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, that's for LSU. So, um, you know, that's a pretty cool moment, and they should enjoy every single, you know, second of being a champion. Um, so, you know, I think that's theirs to do. But more than anything, you know, I'm just lucky enough that there were some really cool people in the arena um, at that championship game uh, Sunday night. Uh, there was some really, you know, highly sought after people um, watching and supporting women's basketball and that's exactly what this game needs so I appreciate the first lady being in the house and watching both teams and supporting the the greatness of women's basketball first lady Dr. Jill Biden was in attendance as that was the voice of Caitlin Clark and of course Caitlin she wins the Wooden Award today as the women's best basketball player, as if there was any question whether she was or not. She wins the Naismith, the AP, the Wade Trophy, and United States Basketball Writers Association Player of the Year. She averaged 27.8 points per game, and she still has two years of eligibility left. But she's very clever and smart with her answer in regards to saying that LSU and that is really reserved for the winners. And I think that Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady of the United States, walked that one back <laughs> and her press secretary did a great job today, you know, because Dr. Biden, the first lady, she said, I'm going to tell Joe, I think I should come, too, because they played such a good game. I've never, ever seen a runner-up team arrive at the White House and be celebrated 
by the first lady and the president. Mike. Yeah, that, yeah. That throw throw your politics out of the window. No matter, I've never seen anyone come together on an issue to say something is such a bad idea on online. I I read that and said, what 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 the hell are we doing here? Have have you ever seen anything like that ever? And I understand the fact that. You know, it was a big moment for women's sports. Like in Caitlin Clark, done a lot for women's basketball. I, I get all that, but heck, I, she wouldn't have said that if if Iowa had won the game and said that about about inviting both teams. So, like, talk about an issue that can unite everyone on being such a uniquely bad idea that everyone on both sides of the aisle can say, eh, I don't know about that one. I'm just glad Caitlin Clark was able to talk to Mr. Shaft today on ESPN and let him know. I think that when we're going to go to the White House, if I'm going to go to the White House, it'll be under different circumstances no as a winner of the national championship. On the other side of this break, we're going to have a very special guest joining us, a national championship coach who graduated from South Alabama. He's from Decatur, Alabama. Gary Reedus will be joining us next here on the final drive with Corey Labonte and Michael Bronner. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Gonna jump right into my next guest, and my next guest is a graduate of the University of South Alabama and knows all about the Gulf Coast area. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be joined by Gary Reedus the second here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Gary, I have to ask you, Coach, have you come down from your national championship natural high yet? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I think it'll take a little while, but nah, not yet. Not yet. This, this has been crazy. Coach, I, I tell you what, you know, you coming down here and playing basketball in South Alabama, of course, being from North Alabama and, and knowing the state of Alabama and Decatur and your father being a performer, professional major league baseball player, your sister playing basketball for Coach Rick Moody at the University of Alabama and just basketball running through your blood. Talk about how you wound up sitting next to Kim Mulkey and Bob Starkey and become a vital part of an assistant coaching staff that in the second year, your first, wins a national championship at LSU. I mean, I think when you mix, you know, God, with hard work and, you know, having the right people around you, I think things just kind of work out the way they're supposed to. I got into coaching because of my sister. I was still playing ball. And, you know, I, I had an injury. I knew I wasn't going to be able to play for much longer. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was going to keep playing until I knew what I wanted to do. And she asked if I wanted to come and be a graduate assistant at, at West Georgia. And... I was there for one year, and it just kind of took off from there. I, I, I networked. I met the right people, but I always worked really hard. And I think 
you know, people just kind of took note of that. Well, I tell you what people have definitely taken note of here in Mobile, Alabama, is the fact that you are a former Jaguar. And talk about your time here at South Alabama where you had a lot of academic success. You were a two-time Sunbelt Conference all-academic team member. And I know when you're a head coach and when parents and student athletes get in front of you from a recruiting standpoint, they have to know that you're going to take care of their child academically to put them in life after basketball. And I know that you took care of business on and off the floor, but academics are so very important to you and your family. They are. Uh, they're very important. I mean, I didn't get to play ball if if my grades weren't right. I didn't get to get, you know, I really didn't get to get C's. She was kind of okay with B's, but my mom didn't really a lot of bad grades. And, and it's just something that kind of stuck with me all throughout high school, college, and even after. And I think it's something that, that we're on the girls now about you know, the, the ball is going to stop bouncing one day. You want to make sure that you have your degree. You want to make sure that you take care of, of, you know, what you need to take care of in the classroom. Well, inside of the classroom is so very important because there's life after basketball. But we'll jump in to right where you are today. And that's getting ready for a national championship parade tomorrow in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. And right here in Mobile, Alabama, we have Shanice McKinney Sims, who is the head women's basketball coach at LaFleur High School. She's a former LSU Lady Tiger. I coached her at LaFleur High School, and she she just thinks so much of not only LSU but the job that you've been able to do. And talk about being with Bob Starkey. And to me, Bob Starkey is the greatest assistant coach that you could ask for in the country, in the world, really, because he's such a humble coach He's coached men and women. He understands and just gets it. Yeah, I mean, man, I, Coach Starkey was a big reason I decided to come to LSU. Kim Mulkey, of course. Like, I, I wanted to come and I wanted to learn under Coach Mulkey. Uh, but when she told me Coach Starkey was on board, I'm always trying to, to get better at, at what it is that I'm currently doing. And, you know, I want to get prepared to be a head coach, but I also want to, you know, continue to learn how to be a really good assistant coach while I'm an assistant coach. And there's none better to learn from than Coach Starkey. I call him OG uh, <laughs> because it, he is the OG, right? He He's just a bundle of knowledge, man. I go and sit in his office, you know, every day or every other day and, and I just kind of try to absorb everything that, that, that he kind of has to offer and it's always so many stories and it's so many life lessons and so much that I can learn from especially being a young coach I just want to learn as much as I can learn and there's really none better to learn from than, than Coach Starkey Coach this uh, this tournament received higher ratings than any women's basketball tournament has has ever received. Uh, just talk about the, the growth of the game and, and how much this year in particular has meant to the sport. I think you'll, you'll always see growth uh, from our sport when you have certain characters, right? And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that uh, by you, you have larger-than-life kind of figures. You know, you, you got Angel, and then you have Flaget, 
on our team alone. You know, you got Lex on our team, and they're teaming up with Kim Mulkey, and you're going up against, you know, the the winners of the last couple of years, the, the, the kind of standard of our sport in South Carolina. But then you got Caitlin Clark, you know, popping on the scene, scoring 30, 40 points and hitting the crazy shots. And, you know, you always have UConn and you always have Stanford. I, I think because there's more parity in our sport now, and I think because – there are these larger-than-life figures who are really, really good but really, really relatable. I think when you have that, and, and these kids are now able to kind of market themselves a little bit different, you know, with the rise of NIL and the rise of social media. Uh, and I think because I, I think women's basketball has always been, you know, a great, great, great sport. But I think now it's just becoming that much more entertaining because of, kind of what you see away from the court. Uh, I mean, our girl, every single road game we played, there were fans waiting for hours after the game just to see our girls. It, it was literally, we called it the free smoke tour. It was a real tour. Our girls were like the Beatles. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, people were waiting to talk to them, to take pictures with them, to get an autograph for hours. And it was crazy. It, it only got crazier as the season kind of went along. Uh, and I think that, that our girls, you know, and our team was a big part of that. And our girls love wearing that responsibility. And I think they did a really good job of it. And when you have the basketball portion of it to, to kind of back it up, I think that's when you find a, a really good marriage of it all. Well, Coach, you guys found an outstanding marriage throughout your tournament run. In the fourth quarter, in the national semifinals, being down 10 points to Virginia Tech, a number one overall seed, you guys rolled the back there of Lex Luthor, who you guys also are known as Alexis Morris. She had 27 mm -hmm. points. And, of course, Angel Reese had 24 and 12 in the national semifinal game. But talk to us about the, 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 the players like Alexis Morris. Everybody sees and knows about Bayou Barbie and Angel Reese, but the people like Alexis mm -hmm. Morris and Jasmine Carson coming off the bench in the national championship game and could not miss. All the shooters were on the bench. Yeah, I mean, with Lex, Lex has been doing that all season. I, I think that a, a lot of times it got overshadowed because of the amazing numbers that Angel was putting up all year. You know, when, whenever you have a, a significant streak kind of that she had, I think that's the main focus. Uh, then we were undefeated, and I think, you know, those two things were, were kind of the headliners for our team, but every single big game, Lex did that, and, and what she did down the stretch against Virginia Tech, not just offensively, but defensively, she had two of the toughest matchups in the Final Four, uh, but what she did is, is what we come to expect. I mean, she's experienced, She's been there before. She knows what it takes. She understands Coach Mulkey. She knew exactly what we needed. Uh, and I think with Jasmine Carson, uh, she's been due for one of these kind of games. Uh, I mean, she started every single regular season game for us. So it's not a surprise to us, you know, that, that she hit shots. That's what she does. Uh, but around every five or six games, she would have a, a crazy hot game where she would just come out and, and couldn't miss. 
And it's amazing to have one of those in the national championship. She's a, she's a Baton Rouge legend forever. Like, I, I, I don't think that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> should ever have to worry about buying a meal here. No, no question about that. And you don't even have to worry about that now with NIL deals, with it with it not right. being legal. So so that's the great part, too. And we're speaking with Gary Reedus II, who is a national championship assistant coach for the LSU Women's Lady Tigers basketball program. Of course, he's a graduate of South Alabama. We're going to go ahead and take you from that journey. Talk to us about what your time at South Alabama personally meant to you here along the Gulf Coast. It meant a lot. It meant a lot to me to be able to kind of come back to my home state uh, and finish up my schooling. I met some friends that I'll have forever, you know, some teammates that, that you know, I'll keep in touch with forever. We had a really special time. I, I mean, I, I think coming in, I was still just kind of trying to find myself not as not just as a, a young man, but also as a basketball player and, and try to figure out kind of what I wanted to do in the future. And to be able to come in and, and we played under Coach Arrow and, you know, we, we had some really good memories. We, we beat Florida on the road when they were ranked eighth in the nation. And we beat Arkansas that same year on the road. And I think if it wasn't for a couple injuries and a you know a couple academic issues with some of my teammates, I think we would have made the tournament our first year. And I think that that momentum would have kind of propelled us to making it to the tournament the next year too. But it was amazing. My I, I love South Alabama. I love Mobile. My brother-in-law, uh, he coached football at, at at South, and one of my best friends coached football at South and. I always love getting back. And just to come back now and to see how much it's grown, uh, I wish I could have got down to a game. And I, I, I kept saying if I would have known uh, that, that the team would have been playing in Pensacola, I would have flew straight from Greenville after the SEC tournament. I would have went to Pensacola and, and supported the fellas. But it was, a, it was really fun to watch them. We came up a little short, and I hated that. But Coach Riley is doing a really good job. Uh, and, you know, it, it's looking up for the program, and, and I'm a Jag for life. Absolutely love the fact that Jay's up and you're a Jag for life, and the campus continues to grow, continues to get bigger and better, of course, with the on-campus facilities, on-campus stadium, Hancock-Whitney Stadium. I, I tell you what, Gary, also the thing that I would love to know is the fact that you did have an older sister who played in the SEC at Alabama, can and did she used to whoop up on you on one-on-one? And I know I'm going to get Nish to listen to this interview. <laughs> did, did she used to beat you in that one-on-one? She did, but, I mean, she was eight years older than me. I don't think it counts. <laughs> okay. I don't okay. think it's fair. Okay. I was literally a child. Once I became of age, once I got to, like, high school, that was over. Giving her you get what I'm saying? Like, that was done for. But, yes, while I was a kid, she used to whoop up on me. But I don't think that's fair. She was an <laughs> SEC player, and I was eight, nine years old. So, I don't – so, yes, to answer your question. But 
I put an asterisk beside it because I don't really, really think it's fair. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, it's all about family affairs for you and your family. Your sister, again, playing at Alabama, I know have a couple of minutes left with you. Your father was a major league baseball player. I saw you in tears with your mother. Talk to us about what it meant to be able to share that with your mom and, and your family, seeing them on flashed up on TV and just being able. I think we just lost Gary there and. Unfortunately, we'll, we'll, we'll try to we'll go ahead and, and we'll remind everybody that we do have tickets to the South Alabama baseball game Four tickets to the Texas State Thursday baseball game at 630. When you hear the music, look at them Jaguars. Make sure that you call Michael Bronner 251-694-1055 and listen for the Masters theme song because we have tickets to Timber Creek Golf. All week long, we'll be giving sets of tickets away to Timber Creek Golf Passes. Listen for that Masters theme. And not quite sure, of course, technical difficulties, cell phones sometimes run amok, but Gary Reedus II, a national championship coach and a former South Alabama Jaguar, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Back on the final drive, we were talking with Gary Reedus about his family and what his dad and his mom meant to him, his dad being a former Major League Baseball player, and, of course, his mom and him being in tears on the sidelines. And, Gary, talk to us a little bit about what it meant for your mom to, to be there in tears on the national championship scene. Uh, I mean, man, she's she's just been there on every step of the journey. I think, you know, kind of coming up, it wasn't always easy. I think you, you kind of look at the end result and you say, hey, you just won a national championship. Everything must have always been great. But, you know, that, that wasn't the situation with me at all. I think that you can kind of look at me coming up through high school. I, I wasn't the guy who got you know, all of the offers. I wasn't heavily recruited. You know, I had to go to junior college. And then I, I I transferred. I moved around a little bit. My overseas career didn't go exactly as planned. You know, I, I had an injury and had to stop playing a little bit sooner than I than I planned on it. Uh, so for all that to just kind of culminate and, and turn into this, you know, it was an emotional moment, you know, with my mom, who's, who's always, always, always been my number one fan always from from the time I was a kid you know I knew how much that meant to her and that made it mean just that much more to me well I tell you it's a special moment have about a minute left with you and just want you to give an opportunity to to give a shout out and what to expect for tomorrow's huge historic parade man it's gonna be crazy Baton Rouge is gonna be insane uh the people welcome welcomed us back you know, yesterday when we got back, and we had so many fans who were who were in attendance, uh, it's gonna be crazy. They're gonna shut Baton Rouge down. Uh, we're gonna turn up. We're gonna do it the same way we've been doing it all year. You know, the people are gonna come out. We have the best fans in the world. They're gonna come out. They're gonna support us. It's gonna be a great time. It's gonna be a lot of dancing. It's gonna be a lot of singing. It's gonna be a lot of purple. It's gonna be a lot of gold. And we're gonna do it the Louisiana way. Love it. I appreciate you so much, Gary, for your time and everything that you've given 
to me here on the final drive on WNSP to the South Alabama Jag Nation. Want to continue to wish you the best. Undefeated in the NCAA tournament, my brother. Keep there it that we go. way. Keep it that way and, and take care. And, and we'll definitely be catching the parade tomorrow. And appreciate everything that you do to grow the game. Appreciate you, man. Go Tigers. Gary Reedus joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And don't forget, we still have those tickets, South Alabama baseball, four tickets to Texas State Thursday at 630. Listen for that music. Look at them Jaguars and the Masters theme song to win the Timber Creek Golf Passes here on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And remember to listen for that South Alabama baseball theme music. You'll get four tickets to the Texas State game this Thursday at Stanky Field at 6.30 o'clock or 6.30 p.m. And also listen for that Masters theme song because – with the Masters arriving to us on Thursday, Timber Creek will bless you with one set of two Timber Creek golf passes. And when you hear the Masters theme song, make sure you give Michael Bronner a call, 251-694-1055. And joining us now is Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. And it's been an outstanding week for, or really a calendar year for the Southeastern Conference Back-to-back Women's National Basketball Championships, three straight baseball national championships, four straight football national championships. The SEC, I see why you want to be locked on the SEC, Chris. Yeah, and it's going to be even more fun with Texas and Oklahoma get here in a year. And, uh, you know, it was just a, it was an unfortunate circumstance having to watch UConn and San Diego State last night. We should have had an SEC team there. But uh, it's all good. We're getting close in basketball really close in basketball that's what you want and I tell you somebody who is no longer close is Kim Mulkey 
Kim Mulkey was able to go ahead and get that national championship banner. We just had Coach Gary Reedus, who is a graduate of the University of South Alabama, on our show. But she really called her shot when she said, look at all these Final Four banners. I'm ready to go ahead and put a national championship banner. But she did so with nine transfer players or new players on the roster. Is that the day and age that we're living in as far as from the transfer and from the portal standpoint to where you can win a national championship in your first or second year? Well, when you're as good of a coach as, as she is, um, you know, I think I think that's the, the stipulation. And if you're a Hall of Fame type coach, yeah, you can make it work. Um, it's just amazing talking to people there at LSU who, you know, the, the expectation even coming into the tournament was she was still a year or two away. Um, you know, she's come, she's got the number one recruiting class in the, in the country coming in next year. And so I think most LSU fans were kind of realistic on, you know, final four, four would be fun, but this is probably still Dawn Staley in South Carolina's year. And, uh, you know, we'll see what Mulkey can do next year with a loaded deck. While uh, you hit, you hit through the transfer portal with some key pieces and, you know, Angel Reese was one of those big pieces. Um, you, you hit a, you hit your stride ahead of schedule. And, you know, I think Iowa did them a favor knocking South Carolina out on Friday night. Um, you know, I was kind of saying if it was LSU versus South Carolina in the championship, I didn't think LSU had a chance. If, uh, you know, if, if Iowa could somehow knock off South Carolina, I said, well, LSU's got a chance to win a title. And that's exactly what happened. And as good as Caitlin Clark is, um, you know, the rest of the Iowa team didn't step up. And, and LSU, every one of their pieces stepped up. And so, yeah, it was a phenomenal run. For, uh, for LSU, and, man, they bring back a lot. And like I said, with a loaded deck with the number one recruiting class already in tow, hope it's going to be ringing off the hook over these next couple months of girls at other schools that want to transfer and come be a part of this ride, like Angel Reese and Alexis Morris were this year. So it's, um, it, it, it's crazy to say, but they just won the championship, and LSU may be more talented on paper a year from now than they were this year. Well, when you start talking about LSU, I know that, okay, Kim Mulkey in her second year, she's going to be on the Mount Rushmore for women's coaches. The LSU baseball program still ranked number one in the country, still having a lot of success. Do you think that LSU can go ahead and, and pull off that sweep of baseball and women's basketball? And they still have a great gymnastics program as well. Yeah, I think there's two people that were not happy about Kim Mulkey winning a championship in year two. That was Jay Johnson, the LSU baseball coach, and that's Brian Kelly, uh, the football coach. <laughs> because, you know, let's face it, both those guys are in year two, and the the expectations are sky high. It's been a couple years since LSU's been to Omaha. That's a that's a baseball program that prides itself on championships. And, and Paul Maneri got there a couple times, won it last in 09. But, I mean, it's been over a decade since LSU won a championship. So, uh, they're hungry for that, and they've got all the talent in the world. Paul Skeens, you know, five-time SE, or you know, five-time pitcher of the week already. Uh, he's projected to be a top-five pick of the draft. Dylan Cruz, their outfielder, projected to be a high first-round pick. So they've got all the talent in the world. They just took two out of three against Tennessee. They get South Carolina this weekend, so that's going to be a big series for them. But I think also Brian Kelly, you know, on the football side, they're looking at him going, hey, coach, you know, it's uh, – it was a nice year one overachieving. We beat Bama. We won the SEC West, but schedule sets up pretty well for LSU outside of a road trip to Tuscaloosa. 
I think expectations raised for Brian Kelly, too. So I'd say it ha- kind of half tongue in cheek, half serious that, yeah, Kim Mulkey coming in and, and in two years winning the national championship in women's basketball, I think that elevates LSU fans' expectations. Go, hey, Jay Johnson, we want to win, win a title in baseball. And, hey, Brian Kelly, we're not discounting you. You better make the uh, college football playoff here real soon. Chris, so, uh, we're at the height of transfer portal season. Talking to Chris Gordy, locked on SEC. Transfer portal season in college basketball. Arkansas just lands Keon Menfield from Washington over Alabama and Tennessee. I, I mean, is it interesting to you to see SEC teams battling and recruiting in not in, not for high school prospects, but now for college prospects at, at such a high high uh, clip? Oh, yeah. I mean, we started to see that, you know, the last two, two years. I mean, we started to see guys transferring uh, around the conference. You know, um, you, you look at uh, Kentucky. They, they took players from Georgia. and uh, You know, you've had guys kind of jump around from team to team in the SEC. So I, I think you're going to see that. Florida seems like they kind of hit the ground running pretty quickly. I know they went out and got one of the big players from Yale. I know they're on a, a couple of lists for a couple other guys around the college basketball world that they're looking to grab. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a weird, um, it, it's going to be a weird new world where not only do you have to recruit well and bring in big five-star talent, but you also have to, um, you know, try to keep guys, re-recruit them every year. I mean, I look at LSU. Matt McMahon comes in uh, in in wake of the Will Wade mess, and he had to bring in a whole new roster. And so he went and brought a couple guys from his old school at Murray State, but. There was a kid at Vanderbilt that just entered the portal. He's he's going into his fifth year, and uh, he's a Baton Rouge native. And somebody already told me he's probably going to end up going to LSU. So it's just kind of funny when you look around. Yeah, I mean, Severe Wheeler spent a couple years in Georgia. He transfers to Kentucky, plays there the last couple years, and then it sounds like he's he's on his way out again. So it's uh, basketball more so. I think you're going to see more of a revolving door of, uh, rosters looking very different year by year. When you talk about you know one and dones in basketball, uh, you bring in a big five star recruit, you're only going to have him for a year, and he's off to the draft. But on top of that, you know, kind of the middle tier guys, if they're not getting the playing time that they want, they're going to be on the way out too. Uh, and, and look at Alabama. I mean, you know, we already saw you know half their guys are either heading off to the NBA draft or thinking about entering the portal or you know going declaring for the draft but still maintaining eligibility if they don't like where they get drafted. So. It's just, um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of dynamics to it, but uh, it's, it's definitely going to be one that, that we're going to watch because, yeah, I mean, we were all over the transfer portal of football, and in the last seven days in basketball, it's been a long, long west there too. And, and I think that that's what the new trend that you'll continue to see across collegiate athletics, and I think that you, you had Tom Izzo to make a statement that it's only going to get worse uh, because now you're going to have athletes maybe citing mental issues or physical and mental issues or abuse for reasons why they are deserving an immediate transfer because those COVID years are about to end. But you mentioned football and, of course, Brian Kelly getting ready to enter year number two with the LSU Tigers. Ten and four, but making it to the SEC championship game, a place where whether they got defeated or not, a lot of people didn't expect LSU to win the West in year number one, whether it was by Bama default or not, at the end of the year, in year one, he was there. Yeah, and you'll go back and look at their schedule. I mean, they lost week one to Florida State, but that one was one where, you know, they missed the extra point right as time expired, and, you know, maybe we went to overtime and won that one. Tennessee, they were just kind of, 
out, out, outnumbered. I mean, they, they fumbled the opening kickoff. Tennessee goes and scores, and they don't look back. Um, and then outside of that, it really, you know, they beat Alabama, and then that A&M game, they ran into a jug, uh, you know, a, what do you call it, a buzzsaw, where A&M just finally got healthy for that last game. It was in College Station. Jimbo was having an awful year, and they that was their Super Bowl. They knew they weren't going to a bowl game, so they said, let's throw everything we have in the tank at LSU, and they won that game. So I say all that to say, uh, LSU's schedule does lighten up this year. They do open with Florida State again on a neutral field this time over in uh, in Orlando, but if they can win that one, I just look at you know transition year with Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Uh, Billy Napier seems to be kind of behind it at, at Florida. Um, I just like the, how the schedule sets up for LSU, and and outside of the one game in Tuscaloosa, where obviously I think they'll be underdogs, and you know they, they don't win in Tuscaloosa very often. I think it's a game Alabama should win, even if that's the one game LSU loses and they don't win the SEC West. They'll have an opportunity to sneak into the playoff as an at-large team. So uh, just something to keep an eye on there in Brian Kelly's second year there in, in Baton Rouge. But everybody I've talked to, at least around the you know, SEC circles, is uh, people start to think it's, it's Georgia and Alabama again as the picks in the, in the West and the East. But uh, being told by several people, keep an eye on LSU and Tennessee as two teams that could play, make big moves this year. Hugh Freeze kind of made headlines yesterday with his comments about the spring game saying that it should be against another lower-tier opponent. I'm not sure exactly how that would work for the rest of the nation, but basically wants to play UAB or Troy or whoever in-state. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I like it from the big program perspective. It sounds great for Auburn, but what do you think of your Troy? Hey, come get your butt beat for uh, for an afternoon while you're trying. You know, maybe sustain some uh, some massive injuries in the spring that you weren't hoping to have. I mean, it, it sounds great in theory, but I don't know if any of the smaller schools are going to go for that. Um, you know, I, I think it's more. You know, you, you get a better measure of of good on good. I mean, uh, we see it in the NFL. Granted, these are paid professionals under contracts, but you know, why wouldn't it make sense for an Alabama and Auburn to have a split-squad scrimmage and, and go at it? Um, playing some of the smaller schools, it's just the talent the talent level isn't the same. And so I don't know if you're going to get a whole lot out of that, uh, much like the, the cupcake games we see in the fall where, you know, Auburn blows out the Citadel or whatever. Just the, those, those games don't do much for me. But um, I get where he's going, but... Yeah, I mean, after hearing, you know, with the spring game this weekend with Auburn that they're going to do it with a scoring system and put pressure on the offense to try to come from behind and score points, I, I don't know if I really like the whole idea. But, um, yeah, I, I think he's on to something, but I don't know if the uh, I don't know if the smaller schools would go for that. Well, you know, Auburn getting ready to, to have their A-Day game here earlier than most squads, and when you look across the SEC, now that – Toward the end of this month, all schools will probably be finished with their A-Day preparation. You mentioned some surprises that are going to be probably coming out of the spring. What do you think the biggest news is for across the SEC coming out of spring football? Well, I'll give you one. Uh, I got uh, my, my guy, Zach Blackerby, from uh, Locked on Auburn. We just did an interview that, that'll be on Locked on SEC tomorrow, and the biggest shocker he told me is he doesn't think Auburn's quarterback is on the roster right now. Um, he thinks the, the the battle between Robbie Asher, TJ Finley, and, and Holden Garner that none of those guys are going to be the starter uh, for Hugh Freeze in the fall. And uh, you know we know they flirted with the transfer portal. We know they talked with Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. They couldn't get him out, but um, 
you know, Zach seems to think that there is going to be a guy at one of these other schools that Auburn is going to target and bring in, and a very good possibility is that guy that they bring in is going to be the starter for Auburn in the fall. Um, it's not, in my mind, it's not likely. I would still think Robbie Ashford is the guy in the driver's seat to be Auburn's starting quarterback, but it's not the craziest idea. I mean, I, I said it uh, a few months ago. We looked at LSU last year. We thought that Miles Brennan was going to be the incumbent starter, and Lo and behold, they, they go to the portal and they bring in Jaden Daniels from Arizona State, and he wins the job, and uh, Miles Brennan retires from football. So um, I, I, I think in this, in this transfer portal era, you've got to be bold. You can't be scared to make a big move. And I think if Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery come out of this spring uh, with their 8A this weekend, if they are not sold on any of these quarterbacks being a high-caliber SEC starting quarterback, I think they're going to go find their starter in the portal. Well, speaking of trying to find their starter, you know, at the end of this month, of course, is the NFL draft. And there's been so much talk, whether it's going to be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud at number one. Where do you think the Carolina Panthers are going to lean or, or are they going to make it kind of great TV drama in regards to who's going to be the number one pick? I know this. I know this time of year is, is always smokescreen season. You can never, you know, believe what you read. But, um, you know, all the mock drafts have overwhelmingly been C.J. Stroud going number one to the Panthers and Bryce Young going number two to the Texans. And there's been a few that's been flipped. You know, Bryce Young one, C.J. Stroud two. But that's what the consensus kind of feels like. And then today, my buddy Lance Irwin over at NFL.com puts out his latest mock draft. He's got Bryce Young going one to Carolina, and then he's got the Texans going with the Texas Tech defensive end at number two. He's got C.J. Stroud falling all the way down to four where the Baltimore Ravens trade up to come get C.J. Stroud. So his mock draft today is just absolutely bonkers and and off the wall, but it's one of those things to remember. This time of year is it does get bonkers. A lot of the stuff we hear leading up to the draft does go the opposite sometimes when the draft starts. So, Look, the easiest thing to say right now, the safest bet is that Stroud's still going number one to Carolina. I mean, they were at his pro day. They absolutely loved him and all that. But, man, don't be surprised. I mean, until we hear draft night that the Panthers go up to that podium and they select C.J. Stroud and turn in that card, man, anything could happen. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, and you covering the Houston Astros as well. I have to ask you a couple of Astros questions. First and foremost, I've really never seen a world championship team not receive their rings on the first night. But if you're not going to give them their rings on the first night, they, to me, one-up themselves by having Meg the Stallion throw out the first pitch there for the Houston Astros. Yeah, they did a whole drawn-out. You know, these are four-game series at home to open the season with the, the Chicago White Sox. They drew it all out. I mean, the first night they did the – they did the, the unveiling of the pennant, the outfield, the World Series pennant. And then they uh, had Megan the Stallion come out and throw out the first pitch. Then the second night, they did the ring ceremony. Then they did a bobblehead giveaway on Saturday. I mean, they really drugged this thing out as much as they could. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It didn't get much better. I, I had somebody, uh, we had a caller today who called in and said uh, when he closes his eyes, he still sees Megan the Stallion in those white tight pants. So, uh, uh, again, it's, uh, it was a sight to behold, and uh, she did a fantastic job. Well, it might not have been a strike, but she definitely gets an A for effort. And again, so do the Houston Astros for their choice of who they selected to throw out their first pitch 
after being the world champions. And Chris Gordy, I appreciate your time this afternoon on the final drive. How can people lock into everything that you have and tap into that plethora of knowledge that you have for the SEC? Yeah, just search Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast. we got the uh, YouTube version up. And uh, like I said, our, our conversation with our buddy Zach Block will be tomorrow preview and everything you need to know about the Auburn spring game this weekend. And we'll begin into the thick of it over these next couple weeks going around the conference and, and previewing every spring game across the SEC. And, uh, man, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be a tons of talent yet again in this conference. And it's going to be a, a, you know, a, a dogfight. So uh, keep it locked to Locked on SEC. Will do. Chris Gordy joining us this afternoon. Thank you for your time. And, Michael, when, when you guys were talking about Hugh Freeze wanting to scrimmage other schools, I think that, like you said, in principle, that's a great idea. But when you start talking about is it going to happen, I would love for there to be a sold-out stadium for UAB in Auburn or UAB in Alabama and for the money to go to charity. That's a great cause, but I just don't see it happening here under any circumstances, regardless of whether you put no contact jerseys on the players or blue jerseys, whatever color jerseys you want to put on them. I don't see anybody else stepping up to the plate, and I think it's just wishful thinking for us here as fans wanting to see and other coaches wanting to see other teams play someone other than themselves in the 8A game. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. This is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. The Masters theme song means that you can call Michael Bronner 251-694-1055 to win one set of two Timber Creek golf passes. Again, in celebration of Masters Week, giving away one set of two Timber Creek golf passes. Call us at 251-694-1055 to win those golf passes. And what better time to go golfing then when you have beautiful weather, the azaleas may not be blooming, but at the same time, you know you have an opportunity to shoot a great round of golf. And shooting golf tonight is not what's going to be at hand because they're going to have the Masters Club dinner. And that's going to consist of Masters defending champion Scotty Scheffler. And what he has on the menu Cheeseburger sliders served with Scotty style. Firecracker shrimp, sweet Thai chili and sriracha mayo. Tortilla soup. Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish. Warm chocolate chip skillet cookie. And that's going to be for dessert. So that's your master's menu. Yeah, we were talking about this on Ricchetti the other night. I. I mean that's that's one of the better sounding champions. Scotty Scheffler sounds like a guy I want to hang out with. And, and ironically, 
and he's the world number one player right now. Congratulations to John, by the way. He won our first set of Timber Creek Golf Passes. But keep tuned in for that theme song all week. There's going to be plenty more to give away, so there are there will be other opportunities. But anyway, uh, yeah, Scotty Scheffler is interesting because he is the best player in the world right now. But, oh, man, and, and I, I want to say this delicately, but the guy is so boring. He, he he's he's so good at golf, but there's just very little personality, at least on the course. There, don't need one. And just I, one, well, one. I, I, and I understand. Again, he's the best player, maybe best or second best. Him and John Rahm are the two best players in the world right now. And Scotty is he's so good, and he just keeps winning. But he's he's kind of boring. And that's just the reality of the situation. His uh, menu's not boring. It's, I know that's why. That's barbecue. why I said he sounds like a guy I'd like to get a beer with. But then I think like, ah, man, there are other there are other guys that are that 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 sound a bit more fun than than Scotty. But you know, great menu for Scheffler at the Champions Dinner. As for a pick this week, I'm going with John Rom. Uh, I think he, I think it's his time. I think. If it's not Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm is certainly the best player in the world right now. I think the Spaniard gets it done this week at Augusta. I, I just I'm gonna go ahead and it doesn't matter what event that it is. If Tiger Woods is in it, oh boy, that's who I'm picking to win. And I don't care if he's fifty to one odds, a hundred to one odds, I think two it's to one more odds. Than that. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going with Tiger Woods, but you look at Scotty Scheffler. And what he's trying to accomplish with Jack Nicholas and Nick Faldo and, of course, Tiger Woods trying to go and become back-to-back Masters champions. It's it's really rare and, and almost unheard of when you talk about the number of years that the Masters been around versus having an opportunity to be back-to-back. And that type of consistency yeah. is really unheard of from that from that standpoint. But... Well, this is this is one of the more exciting masters exciting in the way that you know these live guys are coming back and they're playing they're they're playing in a uh, in a major with the PGA guys for the, you know Bubba Watson's there Phil Mickelson's there you got Cam Smith there 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 maybe there's a little high level drama there uh Dustin Johnson's coming back all all these guys that kind of bailed for for the live tour and uh, Brooks Kepka as well. All these guys are coming back. We'll see if uh, I don't think you know. It's Augusta. Everyone respects the course. There's not going to be any sort of uh, you know crazy wackiness there. But I mean, if you're like a Rory McIlroy or a John Rahm or a Scotty Scheffler, even the guys that stayed on the PGA Tour and declined those opportunities and considered themselves ambassadors for the game of golf, these are the types of guys that. Man, they want to kick these live guys' butts. Well, they they want them to be nowhere near the top of the leaderboard. It's iron sharpening iron. And if you know that Phil Mickelson is considered one of the best, you you don't you're not worried about his affiliation. You may not be happy with it, but at the same time, you're wanting to 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 beat every competitor. And that's exactly why I love the Masters. You know, not to mention when you look at a beautiful scenery. And I know that. It, when you guys had the show last night, when you guys didn't have a chance, to, well, Rashetti was on his way yeah. to Augusta. Yeah, I, I think that that part is awesome too. But Tiger Woods had some great comments today about his time at the Masters, and I'm going to roll with Tiger until I can't roll with them anymore. Here's Tiger Woods. When you're playing this course, does it ever cross your mind this could be the last time? Yes, it has. Um, 
I, I didn't know, I mean, last year was kind of a, um, didn't know if I was, I was gonna play again at that time. Uh, for some reason, everything kind of came together. And I kind of pushed it a little bit and I was able to make the cut, which was nice. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how many more I have in me. So the, just to be able to appreciate the, the, the time that I have here and, and cherish the, the memories, uh, but still just look at the golf course that, and it looks like it's been here for over 100 years and it hadn't changed each and every year we come here and everything's, you know, everything has changed since I first played here. Um, but it, it, it's really neat to be able to, to come here and play this golf course and uh, see all the, 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 the past champions. And, and the, you know, I know more guys on, on the Champions Tour than I do the regular tour. Uh, so to, to be able to see them again and, and uh, you know, catch up with, with, with these guys, is, it's, uh, and again, look at my, my last couple of days playing with Fred. I mean, it's, uh, it's the best. And I, we don't get a chance to play very often. I mean, he was, he was like my, my, my dad on tour when I first came out here. And uh, <clears throat> be able to see him at 63 years old, pumping it out there and having a great time, uh, it's been the best. Bryson DeChambeau has been humbled by Augusta. I don't know Couple if Tiger <laughs> will be humbled or not. But I mean, it, I would be awesome to, it would be awesome to see Tiger make the cut. Make that, the that's cut. what I was about to say. And and he, he made the cut a few weeks ago uh, when he played. And I, I wouldn't be expecting a whole lot out of Tiger. This week, I mean, and I know this is radio. And we just played the audio clip. Boy, oh boy, he, he's looking, he's looking old. Uh, and and he, that's just the reality of the situation. Tiger, unfortunately, and listen, I'd be happy to be proven wrong on this because you know he, it's Tiger Woods, but the guy's not going to win a major again. That that's just the reality of the situation at this point in his career. There's too many talented young players right now, and, and Tiger is still at this point struggling to walk 18 holes of golf, uh, or and certainly 72 holes of golf at that point. So for him to even make the cut this week at the Masters would be spectacular in itself. That'd be a heck of a story. So if Tiger is in contention on Sunday, I'm buckle up. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I just think Augusta specifically, it's, it's too much of a grind of a course. He, like you say, he's just... He's never gonna be that guy again. He, he he can't walk anymore. The guy he's just not. Nobody thought he was gonna be able to swing a club yeah. either. No, I mean again, it, it, the fact that he is even out there competing is outstanding, and it, and it seems like his swing is in a solid spot. And and heck, if you want, maybe not Augusta, but it, it's been said if he wanted the special exemption to take a cart, they'd let him. But he's he's just not gonna do that. Uh, right, he doesn't like, want to cheat the game. Of course, like he he knows that that part of the game is is walking, so he's not going to do that. And it's just like I'd love to see it. I I would love 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 to be proven wrong. I would never I never wish to be wrong more in my life, uh, with regards to a sports take at least. But I just don't think it's possible for Tiger to be competitive in a major. Right now, at least, I just don't see it. It's just the reality of the situation. There are too many good young players, and uh, that are that are in better physical form right now than Tiger Woods. It just it's the reality. Well, I will say this: the needle is going to move a couple of ways to no where doubt. if Tiger makes the cut, the needle is going to go crazy, and if Scotty Scheffler has an opportunity to go back to back when he comes in to Saturday and Sunday. I guarantee the number one player in the world, he will continue to move that needle as well. And if both of them 
can go ahead and have an outstanding Masters with the weather by design, hopefully holding up and no holes being delayed, then you're going to have an outstanding 2023 Masters. And I think that's all anyone could ask for. But I'm rolling with Tiger Woods. I want him to make the cut. I want to com continue to do well because when you say golf, to me, it it's, it's Tiger Woods. And this is a place that helped shape his past and his future as well. And Tiger Woods is, is who I'm going to grow with. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls. 251-694-1055. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And we started the show off talking about UConn being the big dog, the big Husky on the block, 31-8, and eight, won all their games in the NCAA tournament by double figures. And I, I think that the survival for five or the drive for five by Coach Hurley was heard loud and clear by his players and his administration, and that's huge when you start talking about having your fifth ever national championship that's as many as indiana and duke have as well very impressive but every year you have new rosters and we've been talking lately about the turnover for our schools here in alabama and auburn and south alabama and uab as well their rosters aren't going to look anything close to what they look like a year ago and that's not because of graduation only. It's because of the transfer portal and whether that's good or bad for collegiate athletics. And we mentioned earlier, Kim Mulkey in her second year with nine new players on her roster wins a national championship. Nate Oates, he has a former five-star point guard who started 22 games for him who's jumped into the transfer portal. Now, of course, you can get back out, but that's Jaden Bradley. Yeah, so this was one of the names that we speculated on as as a potential transfer portal addition for Alabama. Personally, I, mean, I saw a lot of people on Twitter kind of freaking out about this and and saying, "What? Like, what? How? How is this possible? What's happening?" I personally, I wasn't really all that surprised to see Bradley enter the portal. And the names we've been throwing out, we talked to Andrew Parrish about this from Crimson Crossover last week. Uh, the names that have been thrown out a lot after after the uh, draft guys have been Jaden Bradley, Rylan Griffin, Nick Pringle. Uh, at this point, now that the Bradley thing is confirmed, I really think Alabama would do themselves a big service by holding on to Rylan Griffin. Uh, as for Nick Pringle... We'll see what happens with Charles Bediaco's draft status. I, I think a lot of these guys, just the reality of college basketball in 2023 is that if you're not guaranteed a starting spot, a lot of these guys are going to transfer. And it'd be unfortunate, but I think 
it certainly is reality that for Nick Pringle, if Charles Bediaco is going to come back, the path to him to uh, to a starting spot is tough because in NATO, it's a system. I, I, I mean, heck, Bediaco and Pringle playing the four and five would be some exciting stuff. It's just these are two guys that can't shoot and – it doesn't really work with the, with the style of play. I mean, you more of that Noah Clowney type who can stretch the floor and you know can shoot, or at least is a threat to shoot, uh, is is more so what they're looking for in a starting four. I think as for Jaden Bradley, yeah, I, I, he he played some good games this year and started like you said he started twenty two of them. By the end of the season, Quinterly was starting over him, and if Quinterly were to come back, I, I think that kind of almost guaranteed Jaden Bradley wasn't going to start because I think Mark Sears will be back as well. It it stings a little bit. I, I just, I'm okay with it. I, I just don't, I don't know. I have a hard time. And, of course, he's only a freshman this year. So I take this with a grain of salt. He can develop that three-point shot. I just yeah, haven't. He can. He, of course he can. I just have a problem like banking on the fact that a guy this season who you knew was virtually not a threat at all from the three-point line being your starting point guard and primary ball handler. That's just, for me... Did he turn the ball over? If you're a primary ball handler, you're you're a primary ball handler. He's not playing the two for Alabama. He's playing the one. No, and he, and he did a good job getting to the bucket a lot. But here's the thing, too. For for a guy who gets to the bucket as much as he did, he did not make free throws at a high rate. He was he was the one for two king definitely this has, year. Definitely has to improve yeah. on the front end. Missed a lot of front end of one and ones, which were huge for him. As a guy who, but that's his that's part of his development of and course. wanting to be be that elite player because there's a huge difference between being a McDonald's All American, yeah, which you are considered one of the top twenty four players in the United States of America playing high school basketball then stepping on the campus to where you possibly are on a roster full of five or six other McDonald's All-Americans or guys who have been there playing against them three yeah, or well. four years longer than you have yeah. that are physically and mentally stronger than you are. So I think that I'm hoping Bradley will get back out of the portal, decide to come back. I wouldn't count on it. But if he does not, then Nate Oates and Coach Petway, they have their hands full in regards to retooling this roster. And before, and this is with Quinterly and Bediaco coming back, assuming that happens, and Bediaco, I'd say, is more likely than Quinterly. Let, let's say let's say Bediaco and Quinterly do come back. That's still three open roster spots right now uh, to be filled up. Uh, presumably with the portal. So well, when, when you talk about roster spots, we'll switch gears from Alabama basketball to a former Alabama football player. Mac Jones and oh your boy. guy, the GOAT, Bill Belichick, are having a lot of beef. And the owner, Robert Kraft, has got Mac Jones's side right here. Publicly, at least. Publicly. But that's sometimes what you need. Bill Belichick's not going to publicly he's not going to say Jones anything. He's not going to say anything one way or the other publicly. He's Bill Belichick. But will the Patriots do away with Mac Jones? This is your team, Michael. This is the Patriots we're talking about. Will they do away with Mac Jones as their starting quarterback? So, here, here, here's my take on all all the reports today that came out, and there were. 
There was reports that the Patriots have been shopping Mac Jones this offseason, that Bill Belichick was mad, that Mac Jones sought outside counsel during the season for, uh, well, what was the worst offensive system in place, maybe in NFL history, in Matt Patricia and Joe Judge having their chef spoon in that entire offense. So take the entire thing with a grain of salt because I'm sure there's a degree of truth to the reports and I'm sure there's a degree of a little bit of an overstatement to the reports. Do I believe Mac Jones is going to be traded from the Patriots? No, not really. Ultimately, I think he will be the quarterback week one barring injury uh, or or something else unforeseen. I, I think the Lamar pursuit for the Patriots, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I would be certainly fascinating, but I don't believe it's going to happen barring something wacky in the draft. I think uh, the mock draft that Gordy referenced earlier of Lance Zerline. I think it actually had Anthony Richardson falling to 14 for the Patriots, but he's not a guy who would be starting week one. But all this to be said, I don't think so. Uh, but that being said, I do believe that there's a little bit of standing animosity between Bill Belichick well, and Mac Jones. There's animosity between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. What's new? What's, yeah. the, what's the equal uh, equation It seems to be a common denominator here, huh? And, uh, Bill Belichick sneaky has, like, the biggest ego in football and just kind of doesn't let it what, show what externally. About, what are you talking about, Mario? <laughs> It's a fantastic impersonation. Yeah, well, we're 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 getting ready for the draft and the season. We we you know we don't have time to deal with these outside distractions. Well, I, I just think that Mac Jones will be a Patriot, but you want him to be a happy Patriot yeah. in order for you to be a happy fan because I just that's want not him want. to. I want him to be put in a position where he can succeed, and that was not the case this year. And if Bill Belichick is going to be pissed off and hold a grudge at Mac Jones for trying to seek outside help and get be- become a better football player. I mean that's that's on Bill Belichick. He put Mac Jones in year 2 in a position where no quarterback would have succeeded. He gave him Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as an offensive staff with not good personnel. No quarterback would have succeeded in well, that situation. The is a quarterback that is going to succeed outside of the Patriots roster who just left the Patriots is Brian Hoyer. Oh, Hoyer signs a 2-year deal with the Las Vegas now that, Raiders. That's another angle to this whole thing because the suspicion when Hoyer was cut was, oh, well, Hoyer just wants to retire and doesn't want to play anymore. But enough, now it looks like Hoyer might have been questioning what was going on behind the scenes because it was a mess. And Brian Hoyer, they, Belichick just said, oh, we don't need this veteran, you know, putting ideas in Mac Jones's head that, that we're steering him wrong. Get out of here, Brian Hoyer. The whole thing's a mess. It's a silent mess. And Bill Belichick get better get this ship under control because in my eyes, at least from a fan perspective, Bill Belichick is entering this season on the hot seat. He better get it under control. Same with Mac Jones. Mac Jones, if he's the quarterback this season, under Bill O'Brien, under competent coaching, he got to get a lot better this season. If he doesn't, it's time for the next guy. Well, the two guys that you're – referencing that are incompetent or or have been fired as NFL head coaches yeah. before are they still part of the Patriots staff? Joe Judge is on a, in a special teams advisory role so he's away from the quarterbacks and Matt Patricia is interviewing with other teams. Matt Patricia is not going to be a, a, on the staff this year as far as I know. No so pencil we'll on see the sidelines. No 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 more pencil in the air. Yeah, yeah. Very tragic for uh, those Matt Patricia Patriots fans of the world. Well, we'll see how your Patriots are able to survive as the offseason continues to unwind and we'll see if Mac Jones has found a happy home or not. We're going to make you happy with four tickets to South Alabama's baseball game versus Texas State this Thursday at 630. 
When you hear that music, look at them Jaguars. Give us a call here, 251-694-1055, and those four tickets are all yours. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Michael Bronner taking your phone calls, 251-694-1055. When you hear that look at them Jaguars music, we'll be right back. This is Charles Farley from the University of Alabama. You listen to 105.5 WNSP. Roll time. That South Alabama baseball theme music. Give Michael Bronner a call, 251-694-1055, and four tickets to the game this Thursday night at Stanky Field, 6.30. The Jaguars take on Texas State in a conference game. Again, you can reach us at 251-694-1055 to win those four South Alabama baseball tickets. And today in the show, we've been talking a lot about UConn winning the national championship. One of the most boring games Michael Bronner said he's seen from a national championship standpoint. But UConn winning their fifth national championship was not boring to all their fans as they are officially, without a doubt, a blue blood of college basketball, regardless of whether you want to look at the last 25 years or the last 125 years of college basketball. Five national championships, very impressive by yeah. UConn. If you're a UConn fan or a fan of any team in a championship game, that's the kind of game that you want in terms of uh, no, you never felt like there was any chance UConn could lose that game. So, And I'll say this, UConn and LSU – will be getting invites to the White House instead of Iowa and San Diego State because, again, the White House today clarifying their invitation to the national championship LSU Lady Tigers saying, yes, we want you at the White House. We're happy of your accomplishments, and we're proud of your accomplishments, and we want you there. And UConn, they won it outright last night. And 31-8, and eight, not too shabby of a season. Now, again, in the next hour, we'll be talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner right here on WNSP 105.5. Would love to hear from you about your spring football thoughts. 251-694-1055 is how you will be able to get into the show. And looking forward to the next hour of talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. This is Talking Spring Football on the Sports Station, 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Stay tuned as we take you to the practice fields in Auburn and Tuscaloosa as players begin their campaigns to be on the field and not on the bench this fall. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Jordan Automotive. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the WNSP app. Talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. And the gang is all here as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner 
are both in studio with me here this evening on WNSP 105.5. And Corey, you, excited. You, you've got that talking T A L K I N apostrophe football down. I, 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 look, you it's got not talking. That. It's talking. That's right. Talking. <laughs> you you got to be excited about talking spring football without right. a doubt. And I'm here with two guys who it's a wonderful pleasure to be joined by both of you this week as we're able to go ahead and get ready for Auburn A-Day game, getting ready to kick off this Saturday. And the, the news really has been about what Hugh Freeze's thoughts are about playing someone else other than themselves. And I love the idea. I love the philosophy. I love the thought process in regards to having another opponent because I think it would sell out either Jordan-Hare Stadium or Bryant-Denny if you had an Auburn versus UAB. Or, or give you a chance to have a neutral site game that you're not going to have generally during the season because the only neutral site games are the kickoff games during the first of the year where Dallas or Atlanta or somebody puts up a big, huge purse. But you could have a neutral site game and maybe even could get one of them. I, I speculate. I bet he would come play south. Sure. For a spring game that means nothing other than recruiting for everybody and to fill up the what, stadium. Hancock, Jordan Hare, doesn't matter because. And the money go the to money a charity. To Wait a minute. 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 Let's go with this guy. We, we've got kickoff classics. We've got playoffs. We've got bowl games. We got 12, 13. How many regular season games are there? 12? 12. <laughs> Guys, we got enough games. Yeah, but you could have in the spring modified, have an XFL-type kickoff scenario we so got you don't get people games. hurt. We got enough games. They're going to play Saturday in Auburn? Well, great. It's a spring game. Against each other, but we got enough games against the you know, other teams, so we don't need any the, more games. The NFL does it; they okay. go to each other's right. training you camp. Do and that? Pay me. I'll play another game April the eighth or April the fifteenth. Pay me. I, I like the fact that his idea to give it to charity. That that's why I like it because you can put Wait a ninety thousand. I'm going to be out there putting my tail on the line against a team that comes in there and wants to beat our butts and hurt me, and I'm going to be putting my tail on the line for charity? No. You mean the defensive end didn't want to hurt you? Uh, Look, let me just say this. I'm different, and my son tells me, because I've taught him different, that when he's out there in practice, he wants to knock the linebacker for his team when they're practicing. I I wanted to knock the guy in front of me out at practice. Correct. But that was me. I'm different. You know, so – but – I know you get tired of playing, hitting, beating sure. on each other. Yeah, I just we, – we've got enough, guys. I, th- I thought Hugh Freeze's proposal was, Coach, where have you been? <laughs> gone. It, it, it garners a lot of national fodder without question. Yeah, well. But as far as from other coaches picking up momentum and steam, I, I just don't yeah, think that you well, would see yeah. it. From no, no. Power 5 schools in the SEC no. playing. Uh, spring games and, and – 
I know they have scrimmages. We'll be at the scrimmage on the 15th Alabama, and they have scrimmages. But, you know, the quarterbacks are protected. There's some protection for receivers catching the ball downfield. It ain't really a game, guys. It's a controlled scrimmage where you try to keep, you know, skilled players and so forth from being hurt. It ain't a game. Let's not try and go play a game where somebody does get hurt. Well, the modified rules that Hugh Freeze is going to come up with with this Saturday's game, go ahead and put in a score on the board, allowing the defense to try to get stops. I like the fact that if you're not going to have another team coming into your campus's facility to at least have some modified rules, very similar to like what you said with the XFL, to where you can gain points for stops or just make it creative for the fans, giving them something that they normally wouldn't get a chance to see. Well, some of that is what Scott and I have talked about in the way he the way he and I at least think about the way college football is getting. You don't see a lot of 2017 games between – I mean, we didn't see it in the playoffs. We, we didn't see it in the national – you know, you, what what did Georgia score, 60? 60, you yeah. Know, <laughs> if you're going to win – Alabama lost Tennessee 52-49. to 49, They lost to LSU 32-31 or whatever. It's the you second gotta, week in a row Tracy has brought up the scores of both of those <laughs> games, by the way. you, you got to score 30 points. The defense wins the game by getting three turnovers and a missed field goal – and a couple of stops, and that's where you go. So that's what Coach Roberts, the new defensive coordinator, he's big on turnovers and big plays to get stopped. A lot of the times you get a stop on defense because the offense gets a holding penalty and it's first and 20, and it rounds up fourth and five. They made 15 yards. They normally would have had a first down, but because of the penalty, you get a stop. And that's modern defense. That's now. modern defense. Well, I I really like the fact that you do put in certain modifications to the game because the worst thing that can happen in any coach's spring game is for one single injury to occur. You don't want to see your third string go down, your second string go down, your first string go down. You don't want to see any injuries occur. That's why you don't have live kickoffs in the situation. That's why there's no contact to the quarterbacks. But there are valuable reps, and you are able to put things on film and well, when that running back hits the hole, he's going to get popped at full full speed. Let me tell you what Bobby Bowden used to do. You know, he had a lot of good football teams down at Florida State. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. He had a lot of good players down at Florida State. So what he would do in spring training was after two or three days, all the juniors and, you know, the upcoming juniors and seniors, he'd put them over there on the sideline. And he'd have the coaches coach the twos, uh, threes, and fours because he knew as long as the ones were out there, the coaches were going to coach the ones, you know, because they are the best. Well, he'd get through maybe quarter of practice with them, send them over there to the sideline, and let the coaches or make the coaches coach the twos, threes, and fours because he already knew what the ones could do. I think that's a, a great idea, and it's hard to hard to uh, to take task with Bobby Bowden because year after year after year after year he had great football teams. Yeah, and and you know if you listen to maybe Auburn's practice, which obviously if I don't follow up on them, y'all don't need me to come in here, right? You know, <laughs> right. so they're doing some of the same thing and what they call their pace drill, which is what everybody tries to do now because. 
you have to score in 30 seconds at the end of a half or at the end of the game. It, yeah. it, it, it will decide two or three games a year yeah. whether you can stop somebody or you yeah. can yourself score. Uh, so he had the ones go, the twos go, and the threes go, and the coach is coaching all of them, everybody getting the same reps so they can get it on film and they can see how do you – how does the lineman get up off his block and get back to the line, get down in position to run another play? Do you waste any time? Do you preserve time? Do you throw the ball away when it's not open? Do you, instead of running out of bounds, oh, I'm going to get four more yards, but they're going to tackle me in bounds and the clock's going to keep running. You get out of bounds. All of those are things that you have to do in practice. If not, in the game, they throw it to you on a swing route and there's 32 seconds to go. You only have one timeout, the one you're going to need to call to get the kicker on the field or if you have – and you run up, turn back in instead of going out of bounds. They tackle you. Yeah, you made five yards, but wasn't you that, lost 22 well, seconds of time. Wasn't that the 2021 20, Auburn game? Uh, running back didn't get out of bounds. Well, Alabama got it. Well, what he didn't do was turn back inside so that a well-coached Alabama <laughs> defensive player <laughs> That's tackles right. him out of bounds, Yes, pushes him out of bounds, yeah. makes, picks him up basically and takes him out of bounds. <laughs> That's just well-coached. Yep. So. Knowing, as I tell everybody, Sometimes I'm screaming at Corey when my, my son was on the basketball court and, or, or now he played. I'd go, no, the down and distance. You know, they're at the free throw line and it's a one and one or something. And I'm screaming down and distance. But it's the same thing. The situation of the game. We're up by what? How many seconds to go? It's one and one. Somebody's got to get the shooter. Block out on the inside. He's going to try to push you under the goal. That's down and distance. Time and situation are critical down and distance are so critical. And we've seen laps of judgment judgments cost Alabama and Auburn in critical football games, especially Iron Bowls. Seconds matter in Iron Bowls. And the execution is something I think it starts with having great awareness, not only as a player, but as a coach teaching your players the importance, like you said, as a father of awareness of time and situation or down and distance. And these are the little things that you work on versus who's going to be your starting left tackle or starting right guard in spring football. You, you especially with new coaching staffs, uh, with Auburn's situation, a new head coach and a lot of new assistant coaches. In Alabama's situation, two new coordinators. Two new coordinators. So they're really not new. And, and, you and can't they're, call they're Kevin Steele new. Yeah, but. you're right. But but at the same time, you do have new personnel to where you're hearing a new voice and you're still searching for Alabama and Auburn to find that alpha dog offensively and defensively that can lead your team in any situation, whether it be that quarterback position, whether it be the running back position, whatever the position is on the field, you still have to have leaders because from the press box or the sidelines, coaches can only do so much. It's for those players to execute what's already been instilled in them. And both of our schools are looking for that leader at quarterback. I agree, and that's what I love about this state of the offseason to where you just don't know, and you're not trying to find as far as a depth chart is concerned. When you see Auburn's A-Day game on Saturday, Alabama's here in a couple of weeks, you can't worry and say these are our, our ones versus Cam our Newton twos. looked bad in the A-Day game he played in. Then look at 
When are you going, by the way? Speaking of A-Day, is that scrimmage well, this A-Day's weekend? Well, A-Day's the 22nd now. The okay. scrimmage. Uh, so your scrimmage is the 15th. 15th, yeah, yeah. So we'll be, we'll be up there. So you will actually get to see some stuff on yeah, the 15th. Yeah, that scrimmage is, you know, there's more out there and more to see. Uh, well, Coach Freeze, Scott, on that very to thing, it. said today, do you really think with it being televised, I'm going to show you what we do best? Right. <laughs> so, you know, you, the spring, spring game is basically for parents and, you know, alumni and whoopee. You know, everybody goes up to our <laughs> campus and has a big time, you know, and has a barbecue or whatever they do. But uh, that 15th is when there's uh, pressure situations put on with the quarterbacks, you know, third and longs down and goal line going in and so forth. And there'll be some situation stuff which uh, can give you an idea of what certain players can do in certain situations. So that's what I kind of I look forward to see. We always sit down in the, with Mike Tender. We sit right there in the north end zone right behind the goal post. And so that way I can get a look at and hear what's going on down there too because – you know, sometimes Coach Saban is quite vocal about what a player does or doesn't, mostly about what a player doesn't do. So it's always always interesting to hear him uh, correcting a player in the right spirit. Talking yeah. spring football. That's funny, Corey, but he says that when Coach Saban quits – saying anything to you that's when you need no, to be trying, worried because no he's done with you and he's <laughs> moved on and that's that's where we are as far as these players hearing a lot from these coaches learning a lot from these coaches new staffs some new names some names that are very familiar and what is still familiar is every single spring here we're going to be talking football here on WNSP with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner and we love to hear from you 251-694-1055 and again if you call in we still have four tickets to South Alabama's Thursday night Sunbelt Conference game against Texas State First caller, 251-694-1055, can win those four tickets to Thursday night Sunbelt Conference game at 6.30. We're talking spring football here on WNSP, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Welcome back to Talking Spring Football here with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And, of course, when it is spring football, Auburn again go ahead and play in their game this Saturday and Alabama will be playing here on the 22nd in a couple of weeks and you know when you do have spring football that means that there's a lot a lot of other athletics going on and the SEC it just means more as a whole and both of you guys were able to attach that SEC on your jersey and and represent the Southeastern Conference at Alabama and Auburn, respectively. And what's what's amazing to me, guys, is the dominance of the Southeastern Conference, not only just in football with the last four national champions coming from the SEC, but when you look now at women's 
basketball and LSU, you start looking at the baseball champions, the gymnastic champions. Why is it that everything, is it the facilities? Is it the arms race? Is it just the flat-out coaching and recruiting? What is it that makes the SEC so great? Speed. I agree. Notre Dame, my friends that played with uh, Green Bay who were Notre Dame, played at Notre Dame, he's always complaining to me over the years about, ah, you know, we were back in the day, we were bigger and stronger, you know, you know, take y'all on. And so now, you know, that's what Mike, it's easy for Notre Dame to get into where they can recruit speed. All they have to do is move the university from South Bend to Orlando and then establish Notre Dame at Orlando, and then there's plenty of speed around Orlando in the two or three uh, adjoining states, but there ain't no speed around Indiana and Illinois and so forth. And the one that when there is speed, Ohio State, Michigan, and you know who all suck that up. So uh, uh, speed is the difference uh, in, in the 10 or 12 states, that you could say, in the Deep South. Um, it's just a lot of speed here. And then it builds on itself. Um, you know, why do people go to Sandestin or wherever or the white beaches and all of that kind of stuff? Well, because they've heard about it and they've seen the pictures. Well, once the SEC started, got got all that rolling, um, then that's where everybody wanted to go because most of them want to go play against the best and compete against the best and where it's important and where, you know, whether it's gymnastics and you're at Alabama who's won national championships in gymnastics or Auburn who's been to the final eight or whatever they call it in gymnastics, they go compete in gymnastics and there's 8,000 people going to the gymnastics meet at Coleman Coliseum or wherever, you know, softball is packed out. They have 25, 3,000, 5,000 people wanting to go see a softball game. So that. You want to play in that kind of environment. And, and then, again, a lot of it is you want to play. You know, they don't start baseball up north when <laughs> they're about to have a snowstorm, you know, <laughs> over 30 million people. Uh, but they've been playing down here. And, and so that is into it as well. And, you know, swimming and those. So it's just all the way across the board and all the soccer you know, it's hard to play soccer. You may play it. You know, you don't see many ice hockey teams in the South. Sure. It's, it's sort of you don't you don't see many. You know, there's soccer up there, but who wins most of the national championships? No, I'd schools. say, Corey, there's, there's speed on the West Coast. But what's it doing? It ain't uh, playing. Uh, yeah, it ain't playing football. Right. I don't, I don't know what they're doing out there, running track. Uh, Volleyball, 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 you know, chasing each other down the street uh, in East Los Angeles or something <laughs> of that nature. Shouldn't say that, uh, but they're not playing football, and that's with the South, the Deep South, the ten or twelve con congruous, if that's the right word, states, uh, from Texas literally to Virginia for the most part, down to Florida, uh, have speed. I remember uh, Lindsey Nelson and I were doing Miami. Florida State game down in the old Orange Bowl regular season game, and uh, Miami coach was telling me there's more speed within 40 miles of here than there is in 10 states up north. He said, I don't have to go anywhere up north to find speed. I, I, I just drive 20 minutes. Well, I tell you, you know, talking about driving 20 minutes, the recruits that Alabama – 
is starting to land here. It doesn't have to be class of 2024. It's class of 2025 this past week. A big offensive lineman, Mason Short, is one of those big offensive linemen that decided that he wanted to commit to Alabama outside of Iowa or Georgia. And, of course, we know in 2025, Sarah Land's Ryan Williams has verbally committed to Nick Saban and Alabama. When you make and, that and commitment. that tackle, uh, to narrow it down a little bit more, is a left tackle. And that's what he's slated to play. And we all know in a passing offense how important a pass-blocking left tackle is. And uh, per what I found out or read, he is going to be spotted at that position. And, and what's amazing is when ESPN was writing this article as far as their recruiting since 2020, according to this article, 12 ESPN 300 offensive linemen have signed with Alabama, including four in the 2023 cycle, headlined by Southeast Polk High School's Iowa offensive tackle Caden Proctor, number 10 overall, the number two offensive tackle. It, it starts with the foundation. Whether you want to run the football or pass it, you, you've got to have the big uglies up front to protect you. And Proctor, uh, if I recall, had committed, I think, to Iowa and had pretty much been an Iowa commit for, oh, over a year, maybe even two years because uh, he's been being followed uh, as a prospect since he was literally a freshman in high school. But anyway um, – when he talked to Coach Saban, the, 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 everything changed. Uh, Coach Saban said to him, I modify this a little bit, apparently, well, you can go to Iowa and you'll have a great career and you'll be a good player, uh, but you're not going to compete and get as good as you can get if you're not in a place like Alabama where every day in practice you're competing against the very best. And that will make you the very best when it comes for NFL uh, draft days, and so he just switched his commitment on Iowa, and an Iowa, my friend that's up in Minneapolis, big Iowa graduate and fan of them, was telling me about this. He said he told the people of Iowa, said, love Iowa, love y'all, love the coaches, everything else, but I'm going somewhere where I can be the very best I can be. And speaking about being the very best he could be in high school, at Williamson High School, that is, Robert Woodyard Jr. from Williamson and Antonio Coleman's system has tried to develop himself to getting on the field for the Auburn Tigers next year. And that's what you love to see. I know anytime I turn on the television or have an opportunity to see a roster, I love the first thing I want to see is how many Mobile, Baldwin County, or young men that we covered right here on WNSP's Pigskin Pete Show on Friday nights are on Alabama or Auburn's roster. And one of those who is a true difference maker is Robert Woodyard Jr. And I think that he's going to have an opportunity to come in and make a difference, not only on special teams this year, but at the linebacker position for Hugh Freeze. Well, he's having a really good spring. I think he's fully recovered. Sometimes it takes some time. To recover from a knee injury that he suffered his senior year. They got him on the field some last year. He played on special teams, but he didn't lose his his red shirt. So four games. And um, you know, now this spring, 
you know, probably with a little different motivation, new coach. Things are just, uh, you know, it's just a little different attitude. And uh, uh, he's he's having a really good spring, and and everything I hear is probably going to be in the rotation. Even though in the new defense, sort of at Auburn, you're really only going to play two linebackers at a time, and and maybe only one. But he fits the mold of the big inside guy. His height is not, but he's about two forty five now. So he fits the mold of the big inside guy that can be the run stopper when you've got six DBs. You've got to have a guy from tackle to tackle that can stop the run. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on Talking Spring Football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. 251-694-1055. And would love to hear your thoughts and insights about what the expectations should be and are for the Alabama fan base as well as the Auburn fan base here this upcoming season. And again, would love to hear from you. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us here on Talking Spring Football on WNSP. Uh, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Talking Spring Football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. Welcome back to Talking Spring Football here with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And, of course, Corey, uh, before you go on, a couple of uh, people asked me, so who, who to look for? Sure. New guys. Everybody, all Alabama fans are fairly familiar with the, the coming back roster. And so I was looking through it today, and uh, Justin Haynes, who is the running back uh, from Buford, Georgia, uh, and it was quite a battle for him on Stan and, and picked Alabama over Georgia. So look for him uh, at some of these scrimmages in the A-Day game, the 15th and the 22nd. Um, he apparently, he's really uh, sharp, cutting back type guy, you know, and so that'll be somebody interesting to look at. Um, again, we've spoken about Caden Proctor, the offensive lineman that's coming in uh, from Iowa, I think, and uh, look, you know, look for him and see what he does. Another one to be looking at is CJ, and I say this right, D I P P R E Dupree or Dupier, mm -hmm. Dupier, anyway. Dupree. Yeah, Dupree, and he's transferred from Maryland. Uh, I think he's only got maybe one year left or so, but they think he can, you know, six five or so, two hundred fifty five pounds. They think he can be a quality pass rusher. Uh, from the corner, so look at him. And also um, Malik Benson is the transfer in, and good soft hands, runs good routes. I saw some video on him, and, gosh, he just looks like a very good 6'2", 6'1", receiver that can really get downfield and catch the football. So those just four new people that you hadn't seen much of uh, to pay attention to that could really make an impact in the fall. Scott, have you heard anything about Caleb Downs, the uh, freshman five-star safety coming in? I, I, I've heard of a couple of good things that he might play a big role in this secondary no, he, as a freshman. he's going to be a starter. 
I mean, I, he, yeah, he's going to be a starter. I mean, he's he's supposed yeah. to be yeah. He's supposed to be the real deal. Yeah, and I I think he's yeah, right now from what I've heard. I mean, in the off season program, he was just very athletic, uh, quite knowledgeable. Some of the early practices, and so uh, that particular person that eh, I guess a chance to watch a little practice says he's he's got starter written all over him. Defensive lineman Justin Ibogbe is coming back for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Four starts before he had a neck injury yeah, last yeah. year. And anytime that you can get a starting defensive lineman coming in that's already having yeah. experience and is not a transfer portal guy, but has actually been in your system and knows what to expect, 42 career appearances, that's going to be the most of any Alabama and, defensive lineman, especially losing DJ Dale and Byron Young yeah. to the NFL. And where they're interesting, and we're talking about this earlier, uh, where sometimes men are playing boys, is you got a 22, 23 year old defensive lineman uh, that's been in the weight room now for five or so, six years, and on the training table for five or six years. And here's a 19 year old over there on the other side of him. Uh, and the 19-year-old thinks he's good, and he may be good, but he ain't going to be as good as that guy that's 22 years old and generally been in the weight room and knows how to handle things and is strong as an ox. He's a man. The 19-year-old is still a boy. Well, Auburn has a freshman edge rusher, Keldrick Falk, and that's who has kind of been – the talk of Auburn's spring scrimmages and practice and really of the coaching staff. Now, coming in as a freshman, sometimes you're not expected to be a difference maker, but when you can get labeled as a defensive player, as a monster, that's always a good thing. Well, and it doesn't hurt. He's at a position where he's getting lots of reps because they really only had one returner at what they call a jack, everybody else called it. But in other words, a, a stand-up, normally rush defensive end when you're going to run the, the three, whether it's a 3-3-5 three, three, or a 3-2-6 or whatever, that other person has got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. And you know, when you're 6'5", 255 pounds as an 18-year-old, should still be worried about going to the prom and instead you're out there you know in the sec so he's getting plenty of reps and he's shown that he's got the twitch and 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 the burst and the skill but that that is the position on defense that is of most concern is rushing rushing the quarterback they they've experienced all kinds of things running the three running a four-man line with two defensive ends in case you get against somebody that really is going to line up and try to you know, run the ball on you where you get some more size. Uh, then if you have that, you can always go to what a lot of people, I don't know what Coach Roberts will call it, but I'll just say the rabbit package where you, you bring your better rushing defensive ends inside on guards who are normally used to getting help. Uh, now they don't get help and they have somebody that's got more moves other than just the bull rush. So, but, but yeah, Kedrick Fox going to play whether he becomes the starter by game three or four will be interesting to see. Freshman from Highland Home, Alabama, the coaching staff did an outstanding job flipping this young man late. Would have never gotten him except for the coaching change. And, and that's what has to happen. I mean, the excitement that you can generate out of a program, Scott, what's interesting to me is 
when Nick Saban takes over and Alabama comes into the 2007 8A game and you have 90,000 people coming to watch a spring football game, every single year you see attendance kind of drop because it's hard to to top 90,000 in your first year. You know, they say you have nowhere to go but down. And that's before Nick Saban had even won a national championship. But the excitement that is generated and that the coaches, because these recruits are on campus for these A-Day games. And that's why you see other coaches across the country when Alabama does have 90 at its first are saying, hey, look, if we can have 65 or 70 here at a spring game in April, it shows that our program has arrived and it makes the young 17 and 18-year-old recruits want to be a part of something that that's important. I recall that uh, spring game you're talking about, and there was a huge effort. Um, we were getting emails from the A Club and so forth to bring everybody, get anybody, get everybody there. And, you know, the prospects were there. And, of course, Alabama fans were extremely hungry uh, at the time, and, and everybody wanted to welcome Nick. And that was their first opportunity uh, to get into the stadium and, and welcome Coach Saban. And everybody seemed to take advantage of it. <laughs> I never saw so many people at the spring game. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit different crowd, sure. if you will, but that's okay. Uh, so, but, you know, things have kind of, since they're all on TV now, and ESPN's got, I think, every A-Day game, important A-Day game, and Alabama's important A-Day game. So all of them are on TV now, so that probably cuts in a little bit to the attendance. Um, and there's a lot of things on campus that go on that uh, different, like business school has something that they're involved in, the A-Day game or A-Day weekend. So, But anyway, uh, it's still going to uh, be a fair crowd. I'm guessing, what, 50-55 will show up for the Alabama A-Day game. And uh, so... Uh, that'll be a fair crowd, and prospects will be all, and, you know, look around at all the goings on and see what they need to see, and um, we'll have a good day. Same thing here, Tracy, with the Auburn Tigers. First-year head coach, you saw what Cadillac Williams was able to do with an overall non-winning record when he took over and had the interim tag removed for a short term for Auburn fans. Normally, if Auburn is four and five or four and six late in the season, you're not going to see 86 to 87,000 people standing room only at Jordan Hare Stadium unless you have the number one team in the country coming in. That wasn't the case. You mean like for that cold night game against Texas A&M? That would be the one in which Cadillac Williams revitalized and showed the Auburn faithful that what an Auburn man is and the support that people can give an Auburn man. And same thing coming into Hugh Freeze's season this spring. I don't expect... 70 or 80,000 to show up for Auburn's A-Day game. But if you can get 35 to 40 in a situation to where the more people that you can get in front of your prospects and the better environment you can show them, the better it is for recruiting. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm hoping the weather doesn't dampen things. It's supposed to be sort of rainy from what I'm seeing. But, look, Hugh Freeze gets it, okay? And uh, 
I, I don't have any question but that he will have things, you know, turned around and looking better. It's already clear out on the recruiting front, the ones he's getting. In fact, I think I just saw where uh, – Fat Burdett, the big four-star running back, uh, if he, he he's committed, whether it's officially out there, when he says, come play with me at Auburn, you know, he's committed. Uh, so, an example, Coach Freeze is walking down the hall. He walks by a coach who's on the phone talking, and he says, who are you talking to? And he says, so-and-so recruit. He says, well, come on, let's go talk to him, get his parents on the phone. That would have never happened before. <laughs> so Hugh gets it, and, you know, he's recruiting wide receivers because, as Scott says, you go look at the NFL and look at the receivers that he had at Ole Miss, and it's Brown, and then the tight end was Ingram, and you see all these guys. Uh, isn't Brown the one that played for the Eagles? I think it was, yeah. You know, in the Super Bowl, et cetera. So that's, that's what matters to guys, and then – you know, you look at a quarterback that basically Gus ran away from Auburn and he goes to Liberty and becomes a what, first-round pick. Unbelievable. You know, who started four or five games in the NFL. So uh, that's how he goes to Arkansas and gets one of the top five quarterback recruits in the country who's a legacy from Arkansas to commit and, and already has his top 20 who will come play with me at Auburn. So Hugh gets it. Uh, like he said about the offensive line, you know, he went and got all those transfers. There's a new left tackle who came from Tulsa, who's a first, second-round NFL-looking left tackle pick, a right tackle who had started 40 games at Western Kentucky, uh, Gunner Britton, and the center who had started for two years at East Carolina. Those are three guys who've started. So Auburn is upgraded on the offensive line. We'll just have to find out if they've upgraded enough. Jarquez Hunter will be the starting running back, I do believe, taking over for Tank Bigsby. And Can you believe what Hugh said about him? That's one of the things on the other side of this break that I want to talk about for sure because that's going to be a situation of high praise and high expectations. Normally, coaches flatline it for you and make you work up to what their mental expectations are and don't express it vocally. But Hugh we'll Freed, see what he said about him when we come back from the break. Exactly. You're listening to the talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. Talking spring football continues on 105.5 FM and WNSP.com. Call in now at 694-1055 or join in the discussion on the WNSP app. He got all that. He got all that from his mom. Talking spring football here on WNSP 105.5. And Tracy Turney did a wonderful job teasing the outstanding running back who has received a lot of love from his head coach, Hugh Freeze, and that running back is Jarquez Hunter. And earlier this week, Coach Freeze said he's probably the best running back I've ever coached. And I know that Hugh Freeze loves to throw the football, whether it's at Arkansas State or whether it's at Liberty or Ole Miss. But to say that he's the best running back he's ever coached, I think that 
you don't hear that type of praise that often coming from a head coach and he's getting coached up by his position coach Cadillac Williams to where you couldn't ask for a better mentor and leader at that position. Well, the other part about that is the coach has to know the person and know that that praise motivates him. For some people, you say that and they sit back, okay? They think, well, I've arrived. But for Jarquez, he takes that as I've got to now live up to it. And that that's one of the things about being a coach is you know how to motivate. Some people, you know, you say, you are so bad, you're not going to block anybody. They're going to run by you and tackle the quarterback and you won't even touch them. You got to – and, and you know, they think, oh, I ain't worth a flip. I got to get better. Some, you can tell them they're good and they feel like I got to live up to that now. And that's just all knowing how to handle your players. Well, I tell you, Nick Saban does a phenomenal job handling his players and, <laughs> and 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 we will see here over the next couple of weeks but coach Saban has really not put out any zingers to the media in regards to firing back I don't know if it's the media has learned its lesson not to ask them about depth charts and how why people are playing with this quarterback or not playing with this quarterback but Nick Saban Again, in these next couple of weeks, I guarantee it, Scott, we're going to come in here on a Tuesday evening and say, yep, that's the Nick Saban that we're all used to seeing on the media. Well, uh, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to be easy to interview, if you will. Uh, Cecil Hurt, the late great reporter or columnist for the Tuscaloosa News, he was the one guy that could go in there and sit down with Nick and they could have an interchange and all and so forth. But he's just not the kind of guy you're going to go in there and sit down and, and have a TV or a newspaper-type interview with. Uh, he does better on ESPN, which is the big picture stuff and all. But, uh, you know, that's just Nick. Uh, you get what you you get what you get. And I tell you, since we've been on the air, we started off talking spring football about – whether you feel colleges here in this state or really anywhere should play other schools throughout the state, whether it's Auburn and Coach Sumrall from Troy said he would be all for Auburn and Troy playing one another, and he left that door open. He said he, he thought it would make for a better inner squad scrimmage. It would keep his team sharper oh, you're and more prepared. Are you talking about training or in, in the, the fall? In the spring. No, in the spring. I, well, Scott's already nixed I, that idea. Yeah, so we, you, we, some Raw says he'd do it, but, but there are other schools. No. I don't think Alabama would ever do it, but I do think that if the door is open for Auburn, the door is open for Troy. I, I think that they would do it. Well, look, Corey, I don't know about spring, but I will tell you we were talking about certain member of my family is going to be playing at South Alabama in September of 2025. The Jags go to Jordan Hare. That's going to be an awesome situation. So and, and, they will have played almost every day. They've played UAB. They've played Alabama and A&M. They've played Alabama State. They've played Jack State, almost lost. They've played Troy, and now they will have played South Alabama. So All in-state schools, and I tell you, this has been an in-house show because <laughs> I've been able to be joined in person by Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Well, both. we got high school Good spring job, football Corey. starting here pretty soon. It's going to be right around the corner. Viger's going to have their game against McGill at their new stadium. 
Oh, man, that'll be that. a sellout. And, and it's just a month away, so we are here. Spring football, we'll be talking. How did Auburn look on tape and film? Everybody will find out this time next, next week. week. Looking forward to it.